0: Hi, I'm Dr. Gordon Ressler, the president and founder of Robots in Space. And if you want to get the latest in space technologies and business, listen to The Cold Star Project. The show is for entertainment purposes only and is not intended to be what is termed professional advice. The Cold Star Project is proudly presented by the Operational Excellence Society, Cold Star Tech is a supporter of the OPEX Society, and Jason Kanigan is a member of its Board of Advisors. Talk with us at Cold Star Tech to find out more about the OPEX Society and what we can achieve together in your organization, or just visit opexsociety.org. Thanks for joining us for today's show. Today, I'm really excited to introduce Jan Song to you. Jan is a systems thinker, which is a thing that I'm learning about. Systems thinking is very different than the analytical uh, process improvement type of approach that I was taught. Uh, It's fascinating as an operations management guy, I was never taught about (laughs) Russell Aikoff or or anything to do with systems thinking. And so, uh, well past the age of 40 now, I'm having to learn this stuff. And it's a completely different perspective. Yann works as an executive at a, uh, at a Fortune 500 company. I uh, prefer to have him on as a private citizen. And uh, he'll be doing a series with us because, man, guy's got a lot of great ideas. Every time I talk to him, it's a, an uplifting, enlightening experience. I really enjoy it. And I hope that you enjoy our talk as well. Today we're going to be digging into uh, culture, you, you probably know that culture is incredibly important to me. I, I do not believe that you just let that thing develop <laughs> by accident, I think that's crazy. Uh, and that anything you can do to help engineer it uh, to turn out the way that you want is super helpful. And. So what we're going to be discussing today is Jan's thoughts on operationalizing cultural development. So building it into your day-to-day operations so that your people work consistently at creating the culture that you want. And that is, uh, you know, an elevated culture that, um, <laughs> this isn't about <laughs> sitting around a table drinking tea with our pinky finger rings in the air. What I'm talking about here is a supportive growth state where we're uh, backing each other up, and everybody feels confident in each other, and feels that they can tell the truth. These are these are just some of the values that I think Yam would agree with me on, and. I believe are really, really important to having uh, a great organization and achieving operational excellence. I think it's very difficult to achieve operational excellence and that state of readiness that Joseph Paris talks about, uh, founder of the OpEx Society and writer of the book State of Readiness. Without it, without the, the right kind of culture. So, again, welcome. Let's let's begin with this. Our topic that we've we've chosen to begin with. Uh, we could talk about anything to do with like systems thinking and that, but culture, organizational culture, is uh, so important to both of us. Um, I find a lot of founders don't ignore it or want to leave it uh, to to sort of randomly show up by happenstance, and that's terrible. Don't do that. <laughs> but. Uh, You've you've pointed out with this uh, title you've offered. um, How can we, you know, it's a 21st century challenge. So how can we solve this 21st century challenge of uh, operationalizing cultural development? So not leaving it to chance or just, uh, well, I hope that the values that I have that I don't actually talk about with my employees or anything like that suddenly seep into the culture, that's not gonna happen. How can we operationalize this so that it actually occurs? So that's gonna be our topic today. And I'm gonna begin with this question. Uh, yeah, and how is, uh how important is organizational culture? It's nice to work in an organization that is pleasant, etc. Uh, but what do we mean by this in a sort of a measurable, rationalist, and maybe even an economic sense?
1: Yeah, thank you, Jason, for the invitation. By the way, it was pure delight that, you know, uh, for you and I met, uh, you know, quite coincidentally. Mm. And uh, obviously, you know, I... Accept your invitation because I actually checked you out. <laughs> so I actually went online and watched a few of your past interviews, and I felt it was really authentic and relevant uh, to people's lives. So, so this is why I agreed Thank to you. Uh, to to do this with you. Yeah, the, t- the title sounds, you know, a little bit outlandish to be honest with you, right? how do we operationalize cultural development, you know, um, for? All intentional purposes, as people say, you know, we're in the middle of a cultural wall <laughs> everywhere. So, so how do you, you know, actually, where do you even start, right? Um, so, so maybe a little bit of background about myself would help, uh, sort of, oriental. Why, why did you know I even, you know, come to this subject, right? So, so you know, why, why why don't I worry about something else (laughs) right Um, uh, so I was trained as first of all I was born grew up in China you know under a regime that was extremely uh, suppressive uh, at the time and um, it looks like it's becoming so uh, again you know 30 years you know 40 years later so the things that people Now hear from news about Xinjiang. Those things were the kind of environment I lived in when I was growing up. So, so I had that experience, and then you know had the opportunity, um, you know, uh, went to uh, United Kingdom to do my PhD um, in physical chemistry. So after that, you know, I. Came to this country and worked you know, at the University of Chicago um, for a while, doing research. And then after a few years, you know, um, you know I was doing essentially theoretical physical chemistry, and there was not a you know, great job prospect. So I went into industry instead. So for the past you know, 25 years or, or so, I've been basically bumping around, you know, from big corporations to Big corporation doing a lot all, all kinds of things, right? Mostly related with change. And and that's where you know I came to this big you know uh, subject mm. because no matter what I do, right? Whether it's implementing a huge you know software application like SAP, you know uh, whatever that is, or to try to improve an Unit of operations. What just comes up, and again, again, is not technology. It's not even processes, which mm-hmm. typically can be figured out relatively easily. It is culture, it is people's mm-hmm. mindset, right? What people want, what people think is acceptable, what people think is desirable that is really, if it's not pulling apart the organization at least is the biggest hurdle to any improvement you want to do. So that's what motivated me to say, okay, let's think about how to actually, you know, do we really understand what culture is, right? And and, and then if we think we have some ideas then we can think about how do we, um, you know, I call it not the culture in the direction that's perhaps more productive and and harmonious, right? Uh, uh, For Mm. human beings to live with and and work with. So that's essentially sort of where I came to this uh, topic. So I guess what, triggered our interest immediately is, you know, this Harvard Review article, right? I, I don't know if right. you wanted to get into this right away now.
0: Yeah, I was no. going to bring that up with the next question, but that's cool. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so you you have um, brought to my attention a, an HBR article on culture and operationalizing culture, and it's all right. It's all right. But when I read it, I was like, uh, I don't know if I agree with everything 100% here, but I didn't tell you that. And then you came back later with a big Brain dump <laughs> of thoughts uh, about what you thought about the article, and so we're we're gonna share that article. It'll be linked to in the in the description or the comments, and uh, go check that out. And then we're gonna comment on it here. Yeah. yeah. So let's let's start with that then. Yeah.
1: So uh, like I said, you know, it was a great article, and on a I, you know, as I said, it's a vital subject. That, um, you know, what is holding back most of the business, I would say, today is culture. And, you, you know, I don't care where you go. You know, I you know because I'm in business operations, I go to conferences regularly. And you go to those operational excellence conferences. Half the conference is about the culture change. Mm. <laughs> you know, probably more than that half. Because that's what people are... Being against, I know there's all talk about AI, machine learning, all the things, right? That, that's important. That's it's part of equation, but by far the biggest elephant in the room is culture, and so so I you know I absolutely you know applaud that that Harvard Business Review you know sort of try to you know focus right, calling the conversation this, but this particular car, you know article. Talked a lot about you know the relationship between you know employee motivation and productivity, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, you know I'm, I I would train as a scientist, right? So I look at things not just through sort of the angle say, oh these things seems to be correlated, right? They seems to be appearing together, um, which is important to observe, but then you know, it's a big jump from correlation something appearing together saying one cost the other, <laughs> yeah. right? So uh, I think that's where our conversation started. You know, the article was brilliant, point out the correlation between employee motivation and the productivity increase. But then you went down to assert that, you know, there is a causal relationship between employee motivation and the productivity increase and that's a big jump uh, and 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 you know I, I think you and I sort of look at this saying you know do we really understand enough right to to came to such a conclusion and and go beyond that to sort of you know, manage our operations to you know in this way, right? So, so I mean, and this is what uh, operation is, right? How, how do you make something stick? Not just talk about it, actually do it. Then you can you, you have to get serious. If this, you know, relationship is real, then you know, yeah. Why not we do everything possible to increase, you know, uh, employee motivation? Then if there's a causal relationship, the productivity will go through the roof right and and in reality my experience at least it's not that simple mm-hmm. right so so if you treat this as a causal relationship and try to operationalize your business that way uh, the chance that I will backfire on you because mm-hmm. the relationship is not linear not not uh, you know strictly causal Right.
0: Yeah, the HBR article tries to quantify and apply a scale, and yeah. uh, and we'll get into a bit of that. But so yeah. you know, if we go back to uh, 2016, I spent most of that year. My main client was a Dutch change management professional, who really focused on uh, co-creation. That was this big thing at, at large yeah. tech companies, thousand people or more. Typical uh, operational excellence society. Uh, Focus Right. Yeah. And I learned a ton from him. And uh, you'll see if you look at one of my kind of crappy older websites that I don't share around a lot, but keep up for content's sake. I have a, an article and a video on there about you have a, a people problem, not a technology problem. When it comes to this sort of yeah. change problem, uh, and I updated that a couple years ago for an episode, an early episode of the Cold Star Project, this show, <laughs> and and it stuck with me ever since. Right, that uh, whatever you think is interfering technology or something, go search around and behind that. You're going to find this this people issue, the culture, the mindset yeah. issue. So uh, that that is another of the many reasons why this discussion is so important. So. Can you, Yan, um, talk a little bit about what we mean by uh, organizational culture in a like a definition sense for you? Uh, and then we can move on maybe to what operationalizing that means.
1: Yeah, I, I think, you know, there's a very good actually um, definition in this Harvard Review article mm-hmm. we just, you know, sort of uh, uh, discussed. You know, they said culture essentially is the, operating system of an organization, right, which, you know, sort of give you some sense what culture is, right? It's, it's not a technical term. Mm. It's essentially everything that, you know, sort of almost like dictate how we as humans function, right? You know, if, if, if we're hungry, mm. yeah, food became the priority, right? <laughs> That's part of the culture. You know, basically sort of what drive us to spend our energy, focus, you know, prioritize, right? To really, you know, to, 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 to what's important for us. That, that's what culture is. I mean, academically, you know, I, I define this as what God, it it is a totality of our organized consciousness. You know, I, I mm. mean, that sounds a little... You know, <laughs> too to academic to people, yeah. but really is all we know, right? All our knowledge and all we actually know implicitly, right? Mm-hmm. Our habits, right? Our traditions, yeah. our rituals, the, the part of life that we don't even think about it, but we do ah. it, right? That's culture. So, um, so that's to me is. What culture is, and in a business context, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things we we do in business not because we have thought carefully about it; it's because it's always been done this way, right? Yeah. So let's say you get promoted today to a department head, and yeah, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to spend a year, you know, re- <laughs> redesigning, mm-hmm. you know, putting on a drawing board. You don't have the luxury, okay? Mm. Your job and first job is to keep things running. Otherwise, you're out of here. Yeah. So, a lot of things, and what do we rely on? We rely on culture. And, and by the way, there's a reason why the culture was in the p- first place, right? It's been tested, mm. okay? It may be slightly out of date now, but it has worked in the past. Right. Otherwise, it would never have become a part of a culture. So when we, you know, there's a tendency sometimes people become hyper critical. But I would say before you become a critical, you really need to be compassionate. Mm. You need to understand what that culture come from. Even though you think it's bad or whatever, you need to understand where it came from. And I guarantee you, at one time, it has served organization human beings well otherwise it would never have existed so if we start from that i think you know sort of have have a, a, a common language and, and, and starting point with people so that you know people become less defensive right ah, okay. a lot of those things can become very polarized in a hurry mm-hmm. And i think that's one of the challenges we are facing as a country, as a, as right. a race, right? as a species, you know, today is that we became so opinionated and, and, and sort of, you know, forgot somewhat where we came from. And and I always found, you know, if you want to develop a healthy and productive relationship with people, you always have to start from where people came from mm. mm-hmm. so I don't know if that gives a satisfactory answer to your question what is cultural <laughs> but you know I'm, I'm well, yeah, sorry it's it's Des- like a box it.
0: <laughs> it's like a box yeah and, uh, with all these values and experiences and yeah. and uh, perspectives in it and we 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 fall back on it to help us not think and make decisions yeah uh, yeah. uh, more on autopop. People are far more robotic than they care to admit, <laughs> which is yes. something that I, I will say and keep saying. I know we it. have to.
1: We have to. If we're not, mm-hmm. we has we have to stand zero chance to survive.
0: Huh. Right? Okay. I mean, because that's of a, the the time between stimulus and response, and what might be coming. Yeah. You? yeah. Okay. Uh,
1: even as a scientist, right? In, mm-hmm. I hope you know people mm-hmm. don't mind me saying that as a scientist, mm-hmm. right? How how come we have a DNA? Right, there wasn't DNA, you know, at the time of Big Bang, (laughs) Mm. right? Mm -hmm. We get organized, this is how we survived. And you think we need to think about our DNA before we're making it too late? I'm sorry. So, Mm. you know, in that sense, most of our lives are very robotic, Mm -hmm. and and there's no shame to it. Mm. Okay. That's yeah, yeah. that's how so nature some, works.
0: Some must be. Uh, yeah, that's yeah.
1: that's how nature works. You know, we what we rearrange, you know, change, manage is teeny, teeny, teeny yeah. little bit of what nature already evolved, right? Yes, mm-hmm. we had part of it. You know, you mentioned earlier co creation, right? Yeah, we have a role to play, mm-hmm. but that role cannot be exaggerated.
0: Okay. Otherwise
1: we became such a egocentric and yeah. opinionated <laughs> and that's how we, you know, got into the polarization mass. Because mm. then suddenly we, we think we are right, we're the only person, you know, have the right right opinion. Mm-hmm. In fact, okay. That's that's far from true.
0: Yeah. But the concern is if you are too robotic and never in you know, reflect upon your culture and see if there's any part of it that we can adjust uh, you'll stay in that robotic mode and your courses of action that you believe are open to you will be cut off they will be very limited because of, of well this is the way we do things around here anything else is not normal or just inconceivable <laughs> we won't even we won't even think to do it right and uh and I'm,
1: I'm sure i'm sure so we'll that. get you know into this you know later you know series mm-hmm. right i mean then we're talking about human development right Mm. So so yes, we are robotic in a large sense, but there is a developmental element, and that is a vital element, which that's the element made us different from other species, mm-hmm. right? Made us uniquely human. So so when I say we are largely robotic, I didn't mean diminish that. But mm-hmm. we need to acknowledge that. Otherwise, once again, we, we sort of, you know, have a head with no body, <laughs> and that right. does no good, right? So so before we became so headstrong, we needed to fully body. it. So, hmm. you know, acknowledging that a large part of life is very robotic, is just acknowledging we have a body. Hmm.
0: Okay. But I'm also thinking about um, certain stimulus or stimuli will come in, and we will filter that according to our own perception sure. and, and beliefs and values and things like that and uh sort of spit out a result yeah. which maybe we get angry <laughs> right or we go eat some ice cream yeah. or go for a walk or something like that and this occurs without us thinking about it no right no. it's it's just an automatic response but then uh, with the in the anger situation we might tend to blame that other person sure and say sure. yeah made me angry well <laughs> no your <laughs> your perceptive filters of that stimulus and how and how you interpreted it uh, on you know autonomically I guess uh, made you made you angry yeah uh, and so this this is you know and then you've got these complex interactions of all these people coming into an organization mm-hmm. to work and and I kind of picture this like the buzzing molecules right bumping off each other and little explosions happening and and it's all kind of an autopilot right right. (laughs) if if we're not careful and so that's why uh, a a great reason about why looking uh, at this tricky topic of culture uh, in organizational development is so important so let's let's get uh, a definition out there then of what operationalizing cultural development means what's our definition for this
1: uh, so, you know, obviously, you know, we'll, we'll get into some thing that, right? So to me, as a scientist, right? So as we described, I mean, it is just natural that people were born into, you know, different environment, right? Like when I was born, I was in, you know, under communist, mm-hmm. you know, rule. And, and then later on, I moved into different environment and our environment changes, we change, mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I can't imagine I'm, I'd be talking to you if I, you know, was yeah. <laughs> still in China. So, 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 who made those different environment? People, mm-hmm. right? So, then we're talking about development, right? Because it is possible. Yes, we're largely robotic. Yet we can create a vastly different environment culturally, right? And once again, you know, those just don't fall from sky. People did that. And that's development in in, in the basic sense. That's the definition of development. So yeah, there's some randomness or some luck. There's some, you know, (laughs) things like that. Or what happens if, you know, the British actually put down the uprising, (laughs) Mm. (laughs) you know, and and, and America never got, you know, founded. I mean, that was possible. So, so it was not a, you know uh, totally uh, determinate, but there's certainly patterns right principles and, 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 and you know, lessons that we can learn from those large cultural development patterns. And that's what I mean by you know cultural development. I mean uh, back to today, right? As, as I said, we already talked about you know if you ask any, business executive, you know, go into any sort of large business conferences, half the topic is about culture. You culture. Know, how do we get a handle on, you know, managing our company in such a way that we spend less energy sort of, you know, sort of, you know, fighting each other, right? More towards a direction that, that, that will actually make our business stronger, right? So um, that's the discussion. And as a scientist, I think, we have no better way of guiding ourselves than, you know, uh, developing a science of culture development, mm-hmm. right? So we, you know, I was trained as a, you know, physicist, and, <laughs> right? So, so we're very familiar with Newton's laws, you know, Einstein's, you know, theories. I mean, physics would never have developed. The way that it has, without the guidance of those theories or those models, right? And I believe human culture is the same. Yeah, it is all of magnitudes more complex than physics. Okay, mm. so but it is still natural phenomena, right? So this is where I, where my scientist hat, right? So I can look at you know ourselves. Looking at the human society, look at our ugly politics very objectively, saying this is just the phenomena that we're observing. So what kind of theory, right? Scientific model we can develop in order to help us better understand it and deal with the challenge we have and perhaps, you know, cultivate the way the future development might take place. Mm-hmm. And, and and that's what I mean by cultural development. And you know, in my experience, there have been just stunning progress made in recent decades in the social sciences mm-hmm. that has shed light on how humans actually develop. Which wasn't there before. So so while everyone was crying saying Wow, you know everything is crumbling down. I think there's some extremely exciting science going on. Mm-hmm. It's it just not on the you know on the front page of TV's right. or you know social media. That's all. Uh, but but I I've been thrilled to 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 to, to witness the progress. And and I, this is what I mean when I say we need you know, focus on cultural development is and guided by science. And that's what I mean. You know, I, I, I'm not claiming that science is quote, quote, 100% ready to, you know, to guide us. Uh, in fact, you know, I think we're at very early stages of, uh, of developing that science, um, but it's a very promising starting point. And besides, i don't see any better alternative to in the first place right mm-hmm. so so i always use analogy right before you complain that why do you feed me this food well if there's no food guess what <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> it's still better than no food
0: right right okay well
1: and, and for those who
0: uh, have not worked with large organizations uh, and they might be going well why is this important well yeah. Uh, think of the example of maybe having a sales department of just 20 salespeople. It's not a tremendous number of people, but it's, it's significant. Uh, and say you implement a new CRM software to, to keep track of uh, customers, potential customers, pipeline stages of, uh, of uh, sales development and that. If you don't manage this culture <laughs> development thing and the managing of that change, uh, you're going to get resistance, you know, and and there's going to be a range right. Um, and we could probably do it in a, in a bell curve, but some people are going to adopt it without too much trouble right they'll adapt and, and, uh, and then at the other end there will be people who actively resist and try and sabotage that prog- uh, program uh, and talk behind everybody's back, whisper, you know, about how terrible this thing is, right? And then in the middle, you'll have people who kind of slowly adopt it, uh, uh, you know, dragging their heels and they'll be putting their leads into their own um, Excel spreadsheet instead of the central CRM where nobody can see it and it's on their computer, their personal computer, not out in the cloud. So really nobody else can access it. So if they die or quit or something like that, where's the data? I've seen people take <clears throat> uh, leads and put them on post-it notes and stick them under their keyboard, <laughs> they get lost. Yeah. So, so and, I'm, and I'm sharing this just to give you an example to your listener of, uh, of, of the nonsense, of the obfuscation of the resistance that can happen uh, as you as you're just trying to do a simple thing which ought to be seen as something positive for the organization. Hey, we're going to implement this new software and 24 year old Jason would have demanded as a high and mighty uh, plant manager from on high you just do it. He wouldn't yeah. have cared about your feelings now. 46-year-old Jason is very nice,
1: <laughs> learned, <laughs> yeah. learned a
0: lot, right, and okay. also wants to get everyone to kind of go with the flow, right? So I would come to them now and, and begin with a discussion of, hey, we're looking at doing this. Um, what do you guys think we can do to help speed up the implementation of this? What are the problems you see in, uh, in implementing this? And I would get some people to appoint themselves as part of that implementation team so that they were bought in. And that's the co-creation part of it, right? And I don't have to be the dictator and insist on anything. But, okay, so that that's thats the idea of operationalizing cultural development, building in what Yan is talking about into the day-to-day operations so that it just happens, almost, almost robotically, so that we don't have to think about it. It's built in there. But... Let's, let's find out what some of the levers and dials of how this would work are. The, the HBR article uh, lists three things, play, purpose, and potential. I didn't think they were complete, and I see the issue of this isn't a one-to-one. I push this button, and they do that kind of as a yeah. result thing. Uh, they, they, you know, it's not a surprise to me, but co- compensation was not an issue either. It was not one of these three things, right? Uh, it didn't matter how much money you made; you needed to feel good about it. So, uh, I, I'm curious. You know, play. So how much fun are you having? A purpose? Are we on a, on a task that matters to us? potential? Where could this lead us? Um, Are are those good enough? And what what is missing? What would you like to see uh, included in there as levers and dials of of, uh, organizational development?
1: Yeah, that's where, you know, I I think I, uh, you know, depart from where that HBR article uh, thesis is. I think those things the names are secondary factors actually driving culture and as we know right if you act on the secondary things and leave the primary things untouched Mm -hmm. it's like your screen balloons right you squeeze here it pop up here and and that kind of thing so so i would um honestly you know pick a different starting point and 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 I, I I didn't just do this, you know, out of blue. So once again, you know, because I've been, you know, motivated looking this, so I've, I've been reading a lot in, in, the, in the literature, right? You know, uh, what, you know, uh, scientists have done in this field. And that been a rich literature about, you know, uh, how to describe, you know, how to, Manage, you know, different cultural phenomena, and, um, you know, we can get into some of that. Um, I don't know if it's appropriate to mention some of that today. Right. Uh, just as an example. Um, there is a um, uh, um, he, he passed away a few years ago. So um, there's a Harvard professor by the name of Chris Argeris. And and he was, you know, not just armchair philosopher. He actually consulted a lot with you know major corporations, small businesses. So he essentially developed a model he called action science. So he doesn't start with a big concept. He start by observing what people, how people behave, right, yeah. and and what are the constants could of those behaviors, right? So if, you play, if people play political games all the time, well, the consequence is you can't make a very good decision as a company, as a, as a department, as an organization, as a small business, right? So then he asked the question, why do they do that? So, so he developed you know, certain social models about human action and human cognition and human emotions. I think to me that's a much better starting point than you know looking at how much time people spend on play, how much time (laughs) spend on you know those kinds of things, which are the actually the 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 consequences, the effect of those primary drivers. I call it. So um, so if we're going to uh, explore that, I would rather you know uh, spend time um, on some of the I would consider, you know, uh, more relevant work,
0: mm-hmm. more root cause. Yes, yes. Uh, and this this just struck me, uh, thinking about the difference between analytical thinking and systems thinking. Analytical thinking assumes that you can know everything, and it chops up things into pieces. Um, And then you start learning about systems thinking, which I was not taught as an operations management guy. I don't know why, (laughs) but they really stuck on process, right? And I'm only finding about this now, like in my forties, I feel like, oh, (laughs) why? But systems thinking assumes you can't know absolutely everything, but you're trying to get stuff to fit together. Uh, But the advantage of systems thinking is that you can, I think more easily discern the purpose of the or the function of of the system you're looking at whatever whatever it is you're looking at whereas analysis by taking everything apart you'll never find the purpose of uh, of what it is like taking apart a car as uh, as dr acoff would have said right you know you're not, not going to find out that that's a transportation device and the reason that it was made with a certain number of seats was the family size in america of that era uh, but with systems thinking, you can kind of figure out what its core purpose is. So what <laughs> the question that popped up is when we look at play purpose and potential, we're chopping up, we've got three different buckets here, right? That we're yeah. carrying around trying to sort of balance in that, that sounds suspiciously analytical to me. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so I have a very vague question that I'm, but maybe we'll be able to form better for a future episode, <clears throat> but um,
1: yeah, Where they, does systems the analogy thinking lead
0: us, right? Where does systems thinking lead us when applied to cultural development?
1: Yeah, the analogy I use is, you know, yeah. the difference between analogy and the biology is one is dead, the other one is alive. Mm-hmm. Right? So you, you can dissect the swan, right? You can look at the different part of the swan, you know, get very detailed knowledge about it. Mm-hmm. And, and that is necessary, right? So anatomy, anatomy certainly is a branch of science. We we can learn a lot from that. But there's no way you can understand the quality of a life swan, right, mm-hmm. by dissecting the dead part. And that's essentially difference between, let's say, you know, a purely objective, you know, process analysis, statistical driven analysis like Six Sigma. Mm -hmm. Right. And the the kind of cultural development model and theories we just talked about. Right? Was you can call that system thinking, but then you know they're all kind of different version of system thinking. So I'll be a little bit Mm -hmm. careful there. Okay. So what we're talking about here is essentially is go one level above those factual statistical analysis. Mm To what is the organizing principle hmm. that made those different parts function organically? So we're going from basically the anatomy of a swan to the life quality of a swan. Hmm. And so we're yeah. not saying those anatomies are useless, valuable, should be discarded, not at all. <laughs> right, we need that knowledge, but we're going to go one step further and inquire about the organizing principles that made those different parts of an enemy into a live SWAN.
0: Okay, that helped me a lot, your yeah. answer there. Uh, the, the other thing too, is that the SWAN cannot really be separated from its background, its environment, mm-hmm. right, whereas mm-hmm. analysis plucks the thing out and chop 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 yeah i can take a frog and like like akoff said throw it into the blender and then <laughs> examine the uh, the cells but that's not going to tell me a whole lot about uh, why the frog is the way it is all right yeah so we we just talked about uh the the idea of stepping back or up a level to understand the organizing principle of, uh, of cultural development more. What does that mean then as far as the levers and dolls? If it's not play, purpose and potential, what should we be looking at?
1: Yeah, I think what we would do in terms of, you uh, know, series is I, I think we should review someday, like I said, you know, uh, the work that's already been uh, accomplished in recent mm-hmm. decades, some brilliant work. I think mm-hmm. that's, you know, we're all standing on the shoulder of giants, mm-hmm. right? So nobody, not even Einstein can invent physics by himself, right? He, he's standing on, you know, on on the shoulder. Of a, so I think that's necessary. We, we, we uh, It's not just paying tribute. It's, it's actually necessary because you don't become, you know, Einstein overnight, right? You, you have to sort of build it up step by step. But in terms of giving you how I look at things, right, in the, in, the, in the long distance, and it's not actually that long. It's hit home very quick. I think there are two fundamental things that makes human beings tick. Power and the love,
0: mm.
1: right? What do we love? And how do we get it? With the power we have. Hmm. That's fundamentally the two if you think about the DNA, there's two strands, right? Sort of yeah. okay. tied together. Yeah, yeah. This is the two strand of how human culture devolves is by power and love. And it evolves, it's not static. Hmm. It's like mm-hmm. you know, you, you give example early on. A 24-year-old Jason lost yeah. different things yes. from 46 years. So how did it become? Mm. What is the pattern? You know, why can't you know Jason be not be like this, you know, when he was 24? Mm-hmm. Right? There there's there's a lot of reasons. I mean, I mean, you know, I think it's unrealistic to help Jason at 24 became, you know, maturity of the 46. But can we make Jason more mature at 40, mm. 35? Mm-hmm. I think that's entirely possible.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. And that's what we're talking about, human development is mm. looking at those patterns and say, how do we best help people, ourselves included, right? Be developed in a more productive and happy manner. And what fundamentally drives that are those two things, power and love. Yeah. And at different stage of life, we have different powers and we have different loves. Right. How do they interact? And how does this interact with the environment? Yeah. That's the main strand, right? So I think we, we should div- go through the different stages and see how those power and love interact and and sort of grow. And then I think we'll begin understand hmm. culture.
0: Okay, well, I'm, I'm class- very interested for you to send me whatever you want to about everything <laughs> <There's one reason, laughs> in social science in the last 20 years, because uh, I've wanted to pay attention and in the past I have to that sort of thing, especially for um, writing fiction. But, uh, you know, the, other than like um, Claire Graves, spiral stage dynamics and, and ego development stages and that kind of thing, which I find pretty useful.
1: Yes. I haven't, yes. I haven't
0: seen much else um, out there. I've, I've seen a couple things, but this, that, that really um, summed up a lot for me. And I didn't actually know that you knew about that until I just mentioned it just now for, for our listeners. Uh, oh, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. The, Spiral Dynamics yeah. Is, uh, was one of the um, um, foundational mm-hmm. uh, work that I've, I've mm-hmm. really enjoyed. Yeah. Okay. Claire Graves. Good, good. Yeah, well, students. we
0: can have a conversation about that at some point. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Okay. Uh, so that that's our kind of our pyramid and our purpose, what what we're focusing on here. Uh, the HBR article talks about uh, you know this this relationship, and we've mentioned you know is it correlational or causational uh, between company process and employee motivation, and they give a, a, a minus one hundred to a plus one hundred scale and attribute. Uh, this relationship to a a fifty point motivational score shift, depending on how good or bad it is uh, do you think that's ridiculous or or uh you know is it is it reflecting something that's actually happening but just not the way they're thinking it does?
1: I think the correlation is real, but it's just not causation hmm. so meaning yeah, it's interesting. But there's nothing you can do about it Ah. because what are they going to do? Okay, let me drop everything, just focus on processes. process. Mm. I guarantee it wouldn't work. So this is why, you know, I mean, as a scientist, we we need to observe those correlations, right? As a starting point. But then we've got to model it so that we have a model of a causation before Mm -hmm. we can do something about it. Right. And I I just don't see the factors named in that article can help us develop a useful model. No. Mm -hmm. This is my opinion, of course. uh, I I could be wrong, Okay. (laughs) I I agree
0: with you because uh, to me, the process is too low a level to attack the problem at. Um, And it's it's fiddling around with the nutsy-boltsy, you know, almost, uh, you know, you need to get into the realm of conceptual not not physical i think at this point uh, uh yeah so you'd end up wasting a lot of time down there moving particles around and not really getting anywhere right you'd shift a lot of of things but not get yeah you're result. dealing
1: with symptoms right not mm-hmm. dealing with root cause right, right. And, yes. and 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 that's that's the case there yeah. All right, and if
0: anybody wants to find out more about the symptoms versus problem root cause, uh, I've got an episode about that on this show um, called "Symptoms Versus Problems," uh, and the bell tower example where I get into a slightly gruesome example of, of how this works, but uh, it also makes the point very clearly where if you try and solve every problem in this particular situation I'm talking about, you, it becomes ridiculous very quickly, uh, where. You see, you're not getting anywhere. So, okay, yeah. And so what what can leaders do then now to help initiate and support this kind of change? What, what methodologies or tools have we got? Or just even an approach, I guess. You've talked about compassion, for example, uh, walking into something and not going, oh, what a bunch of idiots. They're so devolved and <laughs> stupid and whatnot. I'll help them, which is not going to get you very far.
1: Yeah, <laughs> no. I think the typical... <laughs> executive today, their challenge is, you know, how to sort of keep things going, right, because it's literally, you know, sort of a wall zone, you a lot of business today, right. Um, you know, the people I know routinely spend, you know, 60, 70 hours a week, um, just keep things going. Um, so it's, it's a very Difficult situation for for most of the folks, and I would I would say I mean even then uh, I mean there are people who recognize right, the the path to a better place is not necessary to spend more hours right. Mm-hmm. Hopefully you know you can just put out enough fires and then eventually it would quiet it down. Certainly, in our environment, the operating environment, you know, fluctuates, goes up and down. So, so, so sometimes it's worse than the weather. But, but in general, I think, you know, if, if they really think about it and reflect on it, and and I heard this from many of them is that, you know, there has to be a better way, right? It just, hmm. you know, earlier we talked about the difference between the parts and organizing principles, right? When you know people start burning out themselves by spending more and more hours, at a certain point, I think if they are wise enough, they just have to, you know, conclude it's something not right the way they're doing it. Okay. And you just needed to find a different operating principle. Whether it's the way you organize your business or the way you treat people all right the, the way you select leaders mm-hmm. the way you yourself operate that's usually a big part of the problem so you know i mean what i think we could help is to offer that i call the mirror right mm. i mean i i mean essentially i do a lot of this work with with the senior executives is put up a mirror in front of themselves so that they can see, ah, that's what's happening, right? And, and, and that mirror obviously needed to be an educated mirror. And that's where the so- social sciences we mentioned comes in. Okay. And, and, and that's, you know, if I have to say, now if anyone, your, 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 your listeners, Want to actually improve something? I think the first step is to get some self-education. Mm-hmm. You know, see what different options are there. Right. Once again, you know, there's stunning social science, you know, <laughs> work out there that could help them if they're interested. Right. So, and then once they start seeing pattern. Now, I always say, you know, think top down, but execute from bottom up. right? You can't change things overnight. But if you see a pattern, now you can start planning to change one piece at a time. And you'll be amazed, I always advise people, right? If you can improve things, let's say five, 10% a year, you're making astonishing progress. Mm. Anything bigger than that is probably too good to be true <laughs> and maybe even worse, mm. it could trigger a revolution that will swallow you up. Right. But <laughs> that doesn't mean you shouldn't think revolutionary, right? This is like the think mm. top down. Mm-hmm. Think a big picture, have big goals, big ambitions, but then execute carefully. And, and, and that, the combi- this combination is, you know, my golden rule, <laughs> you know, I always think top down and execute incrementally, bottom up.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I know from, from my own running my own business experiment uh, experience, if you've gone back 2013, Jason was running a sales training consultancy and uh, I was booked wall to wall. I mean, I do calls whenever, whenever somebody was sending money my way, Uh, Monday through Friday, Saturdays, Sundays, whatever needed, you know, and I was tired. And I also found that with 30 clients, uh, I was split in so many different directions, trying to support every single one of them that I couldn't couldn't really help any of them very well. Uh, And so this business, (laughs) I'm not at the center of it at Cold Star. I'm I'm, uh, out on a spoke. The hub is somebody very different from me uh, to keep things managing and running. And that leaves me free to do this. Uh, I I don't let people book appointments on my calendar a couple days of the week because I know how important that deep work is and I need to set aside time for it. During mornings, I know that about myself, right? If I don't uh, come in at a a Russell Aikoff lecture or something like that in the morning, I'm just not going to absorb it. I could find the time at 8 p.m. and press the play button, but it's just going to wash over me and I'm not going to understand it or retain anything, right? So knowing this about yourself, uh, getting control of your schedule, one of the things I do with uh, founders I'm working with is get them to take control of their calendar. Uh, I find all of them are trying to do too much. You you cannot solve every problem that comes your way. You can't. There will always be more. (laughs) <laughs> so you have to find out what you're doing, where your times actually get uh, sucked, uh, move tasks around and batch them and, and organize them by your energy levels. And, and you're like, I'm good at writing in the evening. I do creativity work in the evening, right? And sort of um, grunt work during the day. But finding these things out about yourself and being able to reorganize and, and use your time and energy better uh, makes an enormous change. So, when you talk about the mirror and reflection and whatnot, um, that's 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 what I would call some of the bottom-up uh, side of it, held up by some basic ideas like you don't have to do it the way that you've been doing, or you don't have to try and uh, get involved in every fight that you're invited to, sort of thing, right? Uh, and and I've, I've run into so many executives at, at big companies and small who have not um, encountered those simple ideas yet, right? Of... Uh, of hey, I, I can I can design my own life here. Um, now I've talked to executives at uh, Fortune 500 companies that will remain nameless. Who uh, privately they will never get on my show, and I wouldn't let them because they probably get fired for it. I uh, shared their opinion about <coughs> their uh, company culture, and it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a negative, fearful look over your shoulder, backstabby work environment that. Yeah. Um, it, you know, if it, sometimes senior management uh, can be or leadership can be scared of the idea of <clears throat> implementing this kind of uh, change. How can a leader discern what kind of culture they're in now uh, and sort of rate it against other possibilities? Because, again, they may have. What if you worked for the same company for 20 years and that's all you know and you're locked into, well, every business is like this, right? Only it's not. Uh, and, and what can they do about getting senior management or leadership to support that kind of change?
1: Actually, my advice would be, don't do that.
0: Okay. okay.
1: <laughs> because I've tried that early on in, in my career. Yeah. Um, you know, I've worked for seven different companies mm-hmm. and early on, um, the primary reason I would leave a company was exactly that, right? I've tried to get senior leaders to change, quote, quote, right? see things my way and um, uh, and do things right, quote, quote. And and then they wouldn't. And, and then after a while, I just leave, right? Uh, and hoping that we'll find some greener, pastures <laughs> and and so later I uh, you know at twenty four years Jason you know becomes forty six yeah. and he right. wise up a little <laughs> bit and yeah. and and what I saw is there's not big differences mm. between the six seven you know the, all those are Fortune five hundred companies i worked for not much difference mm. and and that's when, you know, I recommend that book, right? Actually, I went back to my bookshelf and, and mm-hmm. pulled it off of my bookshelf. It's written by uh, the, the famous physicist Carl Sagan. Mm-hmm. It's called <laughs> Shadows of Our Forgotten Ancestors. Mm. So, you know, when I first read it, when I was a graduate student, not, you know, not a graduate student, but a researcher, you know, post postdoc, I didn't appreciate yeah. I I was like, yeah. all this ancient stuff, what does it have to do with my life now, right? We're long beyond those, <laughs> you know, sort of uh, almost barbarian stages. What I really appreciated since I, you know, working in a corporate was that we're far from beyond those stages. The organizational life is still very much dominated by those very, very rudimentary human love and desire and power. And what I found is instead of resenting them, like I did early on in my career, and hoping you know, find a better place, quote, unquote, less barbarian, you know, mm-hmm. more enlightened. It did not exist. So, does that mean that we have not progress at all as a species? Not at all. There's huge progress, right? I, I quote some examples, you know, everywhere. I mean our life expectancy has doubled just from less than 200 years ago. I mean, think about it. Huge progress made. So how did it happen? Right? So, so then I have to basically accept this. As a scientist, I need to accept this. Is, this is the fact. We can make progress even though the organizations we work within still feels very ancient,
0: mm.
1: right? So then, I concluded it's me. The problem is me.
0: Uh-huh.
1: I did not see reality in a crisp, accurate manner, mm. right? I was too superficial. So that's what i would say right stop trying to say i can persuade my ceo hmm. you know my vp whoever your direct report is to say things my way and then we can start change you know i think we need to look into ourselves first and recognize the genius Hmm. in ourselves, and find a way to enlighten ourselves and improve our life first and foremost. And by doing that, amazingly, you will find you will also start influencing and changing other people's lives. But you cannot do that. Without influencing changing yourself first.
0: Mm-hmm. Huh. So, trying to <laughs> convince. So I, I go back again <laughs> to, to my first plant manager job. My boss there, the general manager, uh, was in his 40s and I was in my mid 20s. And he said to me, Jason, somebody's going to see you and, and pick you up. Uh, to, to work for them. Right. They're going to see the value. They're going to get it, etc. Right. And I waited and all my 20s went by and my mid 30s and it never happened Yeah, It never happened. <laughs> nobody, <laughs> nobody noticed me and I was well, doing stuff. I mean, I, I was I've, I've done a lot of civic volunteer work and, uh, you know, done this, done that. Um, But it didn't happen. And so finally, I just had to come to the conclusion that I had to create the life that I wanted myself, that I wasn't going to hook my train uh, wagon on to somebody else
1: and get going. Well, I would say it might have happened, Jason, right? mm -hmm. You know, so someone might have, you know, picked you up and sort of put you on a fast track, we call it, right? You know, just shoot up as a rocket. I am but that's not guaranteed right mm. there's a randomness to it and um, you know and honestly looking back i wouldn't want that mm. because once you're on that fast track guess what you lose yourself
0: mm-hmm. you get sucked into that culture
1: absolutely
0: yeah yeah i mean
1: remember knowledge. you know i just mentioned you know most a lot of exact day working long hours
0: mm-hmm.
1: Making a lot of sacrifices because they're on the fast track. Mm. You know, I'm not criticizing yeah. them. Uh, okay, not at all. I, yeah. I, they're actually making valuable contributions. But I'm just saying that's not all.
0: And it's what they want. I will say that's not <laughs> even <laughs> the
1: most important.
0: Yeah. <laughs> mm. <laughs> mm. Okay. Interesting, interesting. Okay.
1: Well, let's finish up
0: with this question. Um, how How else can things go wrong? Uh, and, and I've done this in the sales training field. What if I ask for sales training into my company as the sales manager or something like that, and it doesn't work, right? Uh, what do we do then? And I'm going to get blamed for this misimplementation or spending the expense and it not rewarding it and whatnot. Uh, what are the consequences if we if we make a misstep in our attempts to improve culture and, and how difficult is it to course correct?
1: Well, <laughs> you know, after 25 years, I, I tend to tell people, right? You if you have not been the target of a witch hunts, <laughs> you're not worse. <laughs> your professional name Mm. that's just part of the game part of the you know human dynamics Mm. and and and, you know i used to be very resentful very bitter about this Mm. in my younger years you know i put in all this effort you know taking all those risks you know you know did all this And then just because the slight mistakes here and there, you know, things that I can't even predict, now I became the bad guy, right? Witch hunt, start. So I used to be quite a bit about this. And then, you know, once again, once we develop, you know, look at this whole thing from a cultural development standpoint, now I start understand why. Right, so another scholar we, we, I'm sure we'll go into is, is, is Robert Keegan from, mm-hmm. um, from Harvard, right? Um, yeah, that's what humans do. <laughs> yeah. right, right. So they, they blame, the witch hunt, they you know, find some way of rationalizing why things are not happening the way they want.
0: Mm, yeah I found myself on the wrong side of the organizational <laughs> culture a few times and and uh, been ejected <laughs> yeah. out of that out of that organization yeah so, so
1: today I no longer take it personally mm. you know do I like it no huh. but I know i' to take it personally okay. and I, I take it as part of the risk that that I take on as a change maker, right? Mm. So it's a
0: phenomenon, it's not yeah. a personal. No, event. I
1: have to ask myself, okay, do you still want to do what you choose to do knowing mm. this is going to happen? Mm. My answer is yes. Yeah. So then I, we have to accept the responsibility, right? So managing that became part of the equation, mm. part of the game plan. Part of the strategy.
0: Okay. So, so uh, yeah, for, those, that's very valuable. for those
1: for those people saying, well, you know, I'm okay with everything, but I don't want it to be blamed,
0: mm-hmm.
1: if that's their condition, mm-hmm. then they don't have starting point. I'm just being very honest.
0: Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, is, that's extremely valuable feedback. <laughs> and, I, and I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, I mean, it does explain a lot of things uh, that, oh, that yeah. I've experienced it, where, yeah, you get on the wrong side of the culture and out you go. Oh, that uh, happens can, all the time. And you can feel bad about being fired, right? Uh, and I see people posting about this on social media. Oh, I was made redundant or or something, you know, or, or the company let me go. You know, usually I sure. try and spin it. We parted ways or something like that. <laughs> uh, but but you know, how you feel about it when you're by yourself is really the the important thing. Is it gonna gnaw at you and and create that resentment or, or are you gonna go, Well, uh, if if I'm a sports team, I'm gonna win some games and lose some games and losing doesn't feel great, but I'm not out of the uh, I'm not out of the whole structure, right? I'm still in the league. <laughs> right.
1: And also I think that, I mean yeah. Sort of uh, looking at it from
0: mm-hmm.
1: from the you know bottom barrel, right? Mm-hmm. So I think what is really important, and 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 at least to me, is that what is the purpose of us doing this,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? So and this is what I ask myself: you know, Why I choose to do this, not something else? So what is this? The purpose of meaning to me hmm. and, and and if i convince myself this what i choose to spend my life on right this is how i feel meaningful living mm-hmm. my life then i'm waiting to live with some of the collateral damages right, hmm. <laughs> <And> <laughs> right which hunt right. is 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 part of that collateral damage hmm. and so that's how i reconcile this with myself okay
0: yeah. And on my end, I want to know the truth with capital T's. Yeah. And if the whole society wants to be against me and say, no, no, this other thing <laughs> is the truth, or the opposite is the way they see it, but I know, no, no, <laughs> this is the truth over here, the real behind the scenes truth, then I'm content with that. That's good enough. I can.
1: Be- uh, yeah. The way I use that, Jason, is that mm. you choose side with the universe. Yeah. Right, right. I I feel the same way, right? You you know, I I have nothing against society, Mm -hmm. but I do understand society is part of the universe, Mm -hmm. not the other way around. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, what is feeding into something else? Well, I hope I hope uh, our listeners found this discussion useful. Uh, If if you like this show please go ahead, go to iTunes and leave a five-star review. That's something that I almost never mention, and I need to really plug that more. Uh, very few people do that. They like the show, they listen to it, and they message me about it. Uh, but like, if you don't have 30-some-odd uh, reviews on, uh, on a, a thing like that, uh, a lot of guests even won't even pay attention to you, potential guests and that. So uh, if you, you want to help the show, that is something you can do. I don't ask for money. Uh, we don't have sponsors except for the Operational Excellence Society, and that's not a monetary thing. That's more of a trade, uh, and, and we support them. But I have to mark it as paid promotion on YouTube. Uh, I don't do a Patreon. I don't need it, <laughs> and I don't, don't want to be beholden <laughs> to anyone for that reason. But uh, it's been great to have you here yet. How can people connect with you? What is the way that you would like to be connected with them? What sorts of conversations would you like to have?
1: Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. So if you search under my name, Yen Song, you will find me. And um, I, I think this is how you and I found mm-hmm. each other, anyway. Um, or, um, you know, yeah, that's the best way.
0: All right. Well, I of appreciate- course, they can
1: always contact you, right? right you know right. how to find they can. me. <laughs>
0: This is true. And it happens. (laughs) People do reach out to me and say, hey, how can I uh, I communicate with so-and-so who was on your show? Well, I I would love to do more with you uh, with this. Um, There's so many topics that we're able to go into. And this is a very, um, in my opinion, a high-level discussion. Uh, And I don't mean abstract by that. I mean, elevating, right? Uh, It's going to get us somewhere uh, much more so than talking about real estate development or something like that which i know about and could talk about but it's not elevating (laughs) really it's just mechanical and i want to get beyond mechanical to root causes and energy and uh, motivation and that kind of thing so it's been great to have you here and uh, we'll see you next time
1: yeah thank you so much jason it's fun
0: thanks for tuning in If you're interested in working with us at Cold Star Tech, here are some of the things that we can help with. There's a lot of people who talk about process, documentation, control, attention to detail, all this stuff. We help organizations become true learning organizations. Remember, if something isn't written down or recorded in some way that's accessible, searchable, findable, it didn't happen. It might as well not have happened. So if you have two people who solve a problem, a serious problem in your organization, but they do so in isolation and nobody finds out about it, which happens all the time, then it didn't really happen and nobody else can access that wisdom. So we unlock wisdom for your organization. We do a lot of things in the space industry. We have access to regulatory and legal officials who can help you if you're a space industry founder find out what areas of regulation and compliance uh, do you need to be, you know, working with, compliant with. And we find a lot of folks don't even know about some of these areas, they don't even know that they exist. Can you imagine how you're going to stumble and stub your toe and really screw up your organization's timetable if you don't know about these things? So come and talk to us, we've got great relationships with the right people, especially in the United States and in England, and uh, we'll be able to help you with that. And so when it comes to process improvement, whether that's some sort of business documentation, business development, Rules? wow, have I seen some things in business development. you got founders out there who all they're doing is quoting on projects. This is a mistake. You are wasting your energy bidding on things that most of which you never even had a chance of winning in the first place. Uh, I've seen people bankrupt themselves bidding on everything or bidding on only these uh, high-end things and not realizing that you need to have a strategy so that this bidding process pays for itself. I mean, you got to learn how to screen here. And this is not something they teach you in school. I I had to learn it myself. So don't feel bad about it, but come talk to us about it, okay? Uh, So either it's on the business process side or the actual manufacturing of physical goods that kind of process improvement. You can come talk to us. Can this be done faster, cheaper, better? And yes, most of the time (laughs) it sure can Um, because people just do stuff and the first person to invent the way of doing things uh, is the person who gets to choose most of the time how things are done. This happens all over the place. I like to point out our um, traffic signals for, for automobiles, are based on the way that they ran railway traffic 100 years before that. Okay, so And this is key in the space industry right now, which is new, right? This is an area that I personally am interested in. How we figure out how to do stuff today is going to impact generations because people are so easily locked into this is how we've always done it. And if you hear that at your organization, there's a warning bell. This is how we've always done it. You need to come talk to us at that point, okay? So reach out to us. It's easy to do. Just message me on LinkedIn or email me at jason at coldstartech.com. I want to hear from you. Thanks for listening.